Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's listen to the word of God tonight. I want to read to you my favorite verse of Scripture. Well, it's not my favorite verse of Scripture. It's just my most preached verse of Scripture. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture, but it's a Scripture that I've probably taught on more in the last three decades than any other verse in the Bible, and I just believe it's that important. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who diligently or who sincerely seek Him. I want to talk to you tonight about the difference between faith and doubt. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for the young people who are spread out across this campus right now. Lord, I pray from the nursery to the teenagers, Lord, that you would anoint our leaders to lead, God, and that you would bless each child, each young person who's come out tonight. Father, I pray as we study your word tonight that you would speak to us from your word by your spirit, God. Show us something that would encourage us. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, Lord, that you would create in us a desire to love you more than we ever have, creating us a desire to honor you with our substance, with our time, with our tithe, with our talent. God, let us put you first and trust you for everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. We talk to you tonight about faith and doubt. Uh, for some of you who grew up in Catholic churches, I was born into the Catholic church. Some of you have different denominational backgrounds. We're not just a multiracial church. We're a multi-denominational church. People ask, uh, most people think we're a non-denominational church, but I've seen non-denominationalism become a denomination unto itself because they all kind of the same thing. And we don't really fit that mold either because we're a multi-denominational church. I don't ask anybody to stop being white when they come to this church and act as gangster as me. I don't ask anybody to stop being uh, black in this church and ask them to be as white as Uncle Ken. I don't ask anybody to not be Hispanic when they come to church. I don't ask anybody who grew up charismatic to not come in here and feel free to express your love and your worship to God by singing a new song to him, lifting your hands, praying in tongues, honoring God through any biblical gift in accordance with his word. I don't ask any Baptist who comes in here, stop being Baptist and winning everybody on your street to Christ. I don't ask any Methodist to come in here and say, stop being Methodist and having a great Bible study methodology. We are free to continue in our own experiences that we've had that are positive inside Uh, our church experience, but what I would love for us all to be able to do is to let go of all the churches that jacked us up. Are y'all hearing me at all? I, I would like us to let go of all the pastors that messed us over and all the bad doctrine and all the hurt that we experienced in churches and say, hey, I'm fully going to invest in this thing again uh, and just love God no matter what all those people do around me. So I, I grew up, I was born into the Catholic church. My parents got divorced. They kicked us out. Um, so I had to become a Baptist, did that for a long time, uh, then truly got saved um, and got involved in a super charismatic church over the top. I mean, just wild. Uh, I mean, literally jumping over chairs and rolling in the floor. Uh, saw the extreme excessive abuse of that. And so when God positioned me to start this church, I knew that I wanted our church to be multiracial be, because God loves red, yellow, black, and white. I heard that as a child. Uh, that red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in his sight. But I knew, how, I knew what they meant in the church I was singing it. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Um, just as long as they are white, they are precious in his sight. I mean, that, that's really what they were saying. They weren't singing it, but that's, that's how it looked to me because growing up as an athlete, I always had friends 
that were black that weren't ever in the churches that I was at as a kid. So I, I knew I wanted to have a multiracial church because I know God loves uh, red, yellow, black, and white. I knew I wanted to have a multi-denominational church because I don't believe any one denomination's got it all right, and I don't believe any one denomination's got it all wrong. And some of us come from different denominational backgrounds. I think the most blessed people are the ones who didn't grow up in church, who don't have a denominational background, who just lived the way they were living, got saved, and are living right now fresh off that. And so they don't have a lot of bad theology or different church history in their background. But I was born into the Catholic Church, and so a lot of that is, is in, ingrained in me. And for those of y'all who have an Anglican background or a liturgical church background, you probably have already paid attention to the fact that today begins the 40-day period preceding Easter called Lent. And growing up in the Catholic Church, we were taught, beginning on Lent, Ash Wednesday, which is today, what's the day before Ash Wednesday for all you Catholics? Fat Tuesday. What, 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 a good, what do good Catholics do on Fat Tuesday? Everything. That's what they do. They do everything. Listen to how the Catholic Church was formed. This is in your history books, and you can find this out. In the Catholic Church, what people, they used to do, uh, their major fundraiser was not tithes and offerings. Their major fundraiser was the sale of indulgences. And what people would do, it'd be like if Miss Irene wanted to go out and get freaky this weekend, and she came up and said, Pastor, you know, I, I, I know I'm a mature woman, but I'm just thinking about going and doing some wild stuff. And she'd tell me all the X, Y, and Z she was going to do. And she'd be like, how much money do I have to pay the church to get forgiven for all that in advance? Because I don't want to die and go to hell in the middle of doing it. And so the priest would say, just make up a random number, and it was called the sale of indulgences. The church will allow you to indulge in the wildest freak zone you want to get into and give you total absolution if you pay the price. Now, you think that, that is, that's a great fundraiser right there. The problem is it's not biblical. But so because the church had decided to have this time of sacrificial uh, fasting in this 40-day period of Lent, which starts from today through Easter, not counting the Sundays, that's how you get 40 days between now and Easter, they, they decided, okay, well, here's what we'll do. Right before we start this, let's get holy time, let's have a blowout Mardi Gras time. And this is how Mardi Gras got started, and this is how Fat Tuesday got started. And they said, let's just all get as wide open as we can. Uh, and so the Sunday before Ash Wednesday was always the largest money day for the Catholic Church because everybody brought extra money because they were hanging out with the priest after church saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to go down early. I'm not just going to be there on Fat Tuesday. I'm leaving from here now, and I'm going to be Sunday night, Monday night, all day Tuesday, Tuesday night doing X, Y, and Z, and the priest would tell them how much money they had to pay for their sale of indulgences. How wild is that? That's the history of the church that I was born into. Um, so today... We got everybody hung over from Fat Tuesday in, in, uh, in a lot of areas and starting this 40-day process called Lent. And we were always taught we had to give up something for Lent. And I can remember being in the Catholic Church hearing people say, uh, I heard one lady say, I'm giving up cussing for Lent. And I'm thinking, you can't give up cussing for Lent. The Bible says to not let any profanity come out of your mouth. We're not supposed to cuss. You don't give up sin when you fast. You should give that up forever. But anyway, for those of you uh, former Catholics or, or current Anglican people, um, we're not going to take tonight on Ash Wednesday and rub ashes on your head. Typically in, in the Anglican church, uh, they would have big Palm Sunday, and we'll be talking about Palm Sunday this year, and they would save those 
branches from Palm Sunday last year and, and burn those and put the ashes on your forehead in the sign of a cross. And you would wear that all day on Wednesday to remember you can't do what you just did on Fat Tuesday. Uh, now, you may want to say, hey, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Anglican. I'm not part of the Church of England. But I would like to get serious about my faith between now and Easter. And I encourage you to do that. I encourage you at any point, any 40-day period or any four-hour period of your life that you want to get more serious about your faith, then, then take, let's take that time. Let's take that time as a non-Catholic church. Let's take that time as a non-Anglican church to get serious about our relationship with Christ. I've had several people, including both my kids, tell me, Dad, I wish we were still doing the every night prayer. I just wish we could have that every night because I like doing it. Listen, and, and I get that, and I love that they have that heart, and I love all the people who have expressed that to me and even the people who feel that way that haven't expressed that to me. But, you know, we don't have to have the doors open at the church for you to have a 21-day period of getting real with God. And so um, we, we can still, as non-Catholics, celebrate Ash Wednesday today, which is a purification time where we get our mind right with God and we focus leading up to Easter. I really want you to focus leading up to Easter this year. Every day for real Christians should be a celebration of Easter. Not just Easter. Easter is about celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We ought to think about that every day. Because the Bible says it's only because he rose first that many will be able to raise after him. So he's the first fruits and we're going to follow along. But if, if you have an Anglican background, um, thank God for that. Participate in whatever tradition that you feel right about. But I hope that all of us will focus on becoming better Christians. Say better. Look at, look at this verse of Scripture in Hebrews 11. It says, it is impossible to please God without faith. It's not whether or not we put ashes on our forehead. It's not whether or not we volunteer in the nursery. It's not whether or not we pay tithes or offerings. It's not whether or not we show up to church all the time. It's whether we really believe in him. This is what pleases God is faith. God wants us to believe in his story that he loves us and that sin separated us from him, and that his son paid the price for our sin on Calvary by giving his life for us so that we could live, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the kind of faith God wants us to have. But it goes on in the second sentence to say, anyone who wants to come to him must, and then it gives a couple of qualifiers. Number one is believe that God exists. I've told you so many times that's the easy part. We all believe that God exists. We, I don't think we'd be in this room if we didn't believe that God exists. Uh, we, we got that covered. That's cool. We're halfway there, but the other half is difficult. The other half says that he rewards those who diligently seek him, and that's where the difficulty comes in. I don't really believe that the average churchgoer meets this second half qualification. I believe the average churchgoer meets the first half. I believe the average churchgoer believes that God exists, but I don't believe for a minute that they believe that God rewards those who sincerely seek him. You say, well, why not, Pastor? Why you got to be so negative? Why you always got to be on the low? Why can't you? You told us we need to be more positive. Well, if we really believed, if the average church member really believed that God rewarded them for sincerely seeking him, there'd be a whole lot of people more sincerely seeking him. If people really believe that if we do what God has told us to do, he will bless us, then preachers wouldn't have to preach on the tithe. People, preachers wouldn't have to preach on offering. We wouldn't have to constantly be telling you. Listen, I got emails today from two of our pastors. Uh, we have 13 daughter churches in Monrovia, Liberia, West Africa, 13 churches there that depend on us. 
uh, that I send Bible studies to to communicate with me. Um, two of them uh, were expressing thanks, but also expressing need. Listen, if, if people really believe God would reward them for doing the right thing, I wouldn't have to remind y'all all the time that all these people around the world are depending on this one church here on the west side of Jacksonville to keep their doors open, not just our doors open. You are a part of something bigger by being here than just this one local church. But I want you to believe if you don't get anything else out of tonight's Bible study, get this. I want you to believe. We say we believe the Bible. Well, the Bible says God rewards those who sincerely seek him. You need to believe that there is a reward for you if you will get your mind and your life right with God. You need to believe that God will do what he said he will do if you will do what he commands you to do. So what did he say? He said that he will bless us if we obey him. And we need to get that in our minds. So we need to be people of faith. We need to believe in the gospel story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to believe that God exists, but also our faith needs to allow us to believe that he will reward us. So many people look at church as a downer. So many people look at church. Oh, man, if I come to church, I got to stop fornicating. I got to stop drinking. I got to stop drugging. I got I to stop cussing. I gotta... Listen, the things that you receive from Christ are so much bigger than the things you could ever give up. But you got to believe that there's a reward in being the person that God has commanded you to be. So I tell you all all the time that the Bible says that we have these stories for our examples. God wrote this book and put it in our hands so we could read about the lives of other people. Because it's really hard to figure out God. Okay, And that's why God allows us to have pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, and apostles. The fivefold ministry is here so we can have somebody to look at to say, well, I've never seen God, and I know I can't be all that God is, but I know my pastor's a little crazy, and I could probably be, you know, at least as good as he is. God allows us to have physical representatives in the earth so we can say, I could be like her, I could be like him. So God says he gave us these stories about these people for our examples so we could learn more about God, and we could learn more about how God relates to man and mankind relates to God. And I was thinking about this verse this week. we got to have faith to please God. So I'm thinking, okay, well, faith is on one end of the spectrum. Doubt is on the other end of the spectrum. Okay, faith is believing everything without reservation. Doubt is having a reservation for any part of what you believe in. And there was a man in the Bible who, um, give me the last verse first, uh, Kari. If you got Luke 7, 28, I, I put the verses in the wrong order. Listen to what Jesus said about this one man. He said, I tell you of all who have ever lived, there is none greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. All right? I want us to focus on the first part of this verse. Uh, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, of all who ever lived. Who does that include? Everybody. He said, there is none greater than who? John. Now, there's a lot of people named John in the Bible. We even got at least one person in this room named John here with us. But John is a very familiar name in Scripture, and there's a lot of these guys named John. Now, this is being read out of the Gospel of Luke, and he's talking about John, but he's not talking about the writer of the Gospel of John. He's talking about John the what? John the Baptist. Jesus is saying of every human being that ever lived, nobody is greater than John the Baptist. Now, if your mama tells people that you're the smartest little third grader that ever lived, she's lying. She don't mean to be lying. She's proud of you. 
If your mama, te- if your mama tells you when you were a baby, you were the cutest little baby that ever was born, she's lying. She don't mean to be like, see, moms are mad at me right now, Deacon Jim. They're like, my baby was the cutest, but I don't know who you're talking to. Listen, that's just mama talk, okay? If your boss tells you you're the greatest employee they've ever had, that's employer talk. If your supervisor tells you they never had anybody work as hard as you, that's supervisor talk. And I write, Stacy, that's just how they do it. Uh, but when Jesus Christ says the greatest dude that ever lived was John the Baptist, Jesus is not given uh, to extemporaneous speech. Jesus is not given just to say stuff off the cuff. Jesus doesn't waste words. He doesn't say stuff he doesn't mean. Jesus is the highest authority on the planet and he said of everybody who ever lived this is heavy this isn't just like uh, of all the dudes that ever followed me this isn't like of everybody alive on the planet right now this is everybody who ever lived nobody is greater than john the baptist this is high praise coming from the highest source this just ain't your daddy being proud of you this is jesus saying that john the baptist has got it going on so this is the life of somebody we need to study This is the life of somebody we need to know something about because we have these stories, for example, so that we can learn from them. And I'm reading the book of Luke this month, and I hope you will read some of the book of Luke this month, if not all of it. It's incredible. Um, It's going to culminate at the end of uh, this month with the Easter story in the book of Luke. It's just awesome time to be reading this book. But uh, I want you to I want to back up in in chapter seven of Luke and I'll read you a couple of verses so we can talk about them tonight. Listen to what happened. Okay, so we've already seen in, in our first verse, Hebrews eleven six 6, that you can't please God without faith. In verse 28 of chapter 7 in Luke's gospel, we've seen that Jesus said, nobody greater than John that ever lived. Well, let's really see what this dude John must be about because if faith is the thing that pleases God and Jesus is God and Jesus said nobody is greater than John, John's got to have a lot of what? Faith. All right, well, let's see how much faith John had. Verse 18 of St. Luke's chapter 7. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples. In the previous verses, before verse 18, Jesus has just raised a man from the dead. All right? Uh, In the verses just preceding what's being said here, Jesus had went and literally raised a dead man and brought him back to life. And so John the Baptist has got some disciples, people that were following him, and they go tell him everything that Jesus is doing. They have to go tell him because John can't see it because John's locked up in the dungeon in prison about to be executed. Okay? So John's kind of off the scene right now. John was the forerunner of Christ. He came along the scene preaching before Jesus, telling everybody that there's one coming after me who is the Messiah. There's one coming after me who will pay for the sins of the whole world. There's one coming after me who is greater than me. So John knows all about Jesus. John and Jesus are cousins. John's mama and Jesus' mama were cousins. And so he's known about this his whole life. When Mary, when the Virgin Mary went to John's mom, Elizabeth, and told her what the story was, uh, Elizabeth was already pregnant with John the Baptist, and the baby leaped in her belly. And Elizabeth and John the Baptist, first two people in the New Testament filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, Elizabeth at that point was filled with the Holy Ghost. John was filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's belly. He had been hearing this story about Jesus his whole life, okay? 
when Jesus came to him to be baptized of him, earlier in the gospel story, John saw him and said, I shouldn't be baptizing you. If anything, you should be baptizing me. You're here and I'm nothing. And Jesus said, no, we got to fulfill everything that God requires. For some of y'all that have never been baptized by immersion, God requires that you be baptized by immersion. There's no doubt about that scripturally. Jesus was baptized by immersion. John said, you don't need to be baptized. You're the Savior. Jesus said, we got to do everything God requires. So John baptized Jesus. And after John baptized Jesus, the heavens were open. John heard God speak from heaven and say, this is my dearly beloved son. Hear ye him. I'm pleased in him. Hear what he has to say. John saw the Spirit of God descending from heaven onto Jesus in what appeared to be almost as if the form of a dove. So not only had John heard about his cousin, going to be the Messiah his whole life, not only had he he'd been telling people about Jesus in his whole preaching ministry, not only did he baptize Jesus, he declared Jesus as Messiah, he saw God open up heaven and heard God speak about who Jesus was. But adversity came. Tough stuff, say tough. Tough stuff's happening in John's life right now. Life's not turning out the way he wanted it to. He'd been being a good man. He'd been doing what God called him to do. He'd been, you know, fulfilling his, 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 his obligations as what he saw them for what God had called them to do. And he ended up not getting what he hoped to get out of the deal. Because here's what John hoped to get out of the deal. This is what they told John. You're the forerunner. You're going to introduce your cousin to the whole world as the Messiah. You get out there and start preaching, and you start telling everybody that somebody's coming that's going to save the whole world. Somebody's coming that's going to rescue us from oppression. Somebody's coming. And John thought, okay, I'm going to set the stage. I'm going to be the MC. I'm going to mic this thing up. I'm going to introduce my cousin to the world. He's going to ride in, take over, establish us up. He's going to give me a big place in the government. He's going to be the head leader of the whole world, and I'm going to be right there next to him. And John ends up in prison. See, because that was the Jewish mindset of what they thought Messiah was going to do. And this is why Jews don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah to this day. Because when Jesus came, all these people, because they heard what John said, and they saw all these miracles, they thought, okay, well, Jesus must be the Messiah. But when he died, they thought, well, he can't be the Messiah because the Messiah has to establish the kingdom of David in the city of Jerusalem and set Israel back over top of the whole world. This is God's promise, that in the end of time, Messiah will come and that he will reestablish Jerusalem as the center of the earth and Israel will reign over the whole world with Jesus sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem. That's the Messiah's job. So when Jesus died and left the scene, they all thought, well, he can't be Messiah because he died. He He didn't. See, what they were looking for was freedom from Roman oppression. And a lot of people who come to God now, they're not looking for the big picture. They're, look, they're not looking for eternity in heaven. They're not looking for the fact that God's really going to forgive them of their sins and let them die and spend eternity in heaven. They're just looking for some, some little uh, alleviate my pain and my pressure right now. They're looking for get me out from this oppression I'm in right now. Hook a brother up right now. See, that's what the Jewish mindset was that Jesus was going to come and do. And when he didn't do that, they thought, well, maybe he ain't the one at all because, you know, where's this kingdom? Where, how come he hadn't kicked the Romans in the teeth and stopped them from oppressing us yet? Why, why we still have the man's foot on our neck if the Messiah is here saving us? And so he must not be the one. And that's why Jews to this day don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're still waiting on the Messiah to come. They think it couldn't have been Jesus because he didn't slap the Romans down and he didn't make all the other governments bow down to Israel. So that's why Jews don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. John is believing the whole time that that's what's going to happen. 
And so he, that's why he was so bold to proclaim Jesus the whole time because he's thinking, my cousin is the one, and cousin's going to hook me up. We're going to run this thing together, and we're going to be on top of the world together. And then when he ends up in jail, Jesus didn't even go visit him. There's a message for everybody there that's mad at preachers that didn't come visit you in the hospital. That ain't always the job. Listen, and don't even come visit him to let him know, I got you, and we're still, you know, I'm still Messiah. You're still my cousin, and we're, you're the forerunner. I'm the man. We're still going to make this work. John's sitting in jail wondering, what's going on? Everything he thought about his Christianity is now hit the floor. He thought if he did what he was supposed to do, God was going to hook him up. He thought if he did everything he was supposed to do, it was going to be easy, greasy. Uh, every, everything in life was going to be awesome. And now he's in prison. So here this guy is, who Jesus said the greatest dude that ever lived, most rock-solid dude on the planet, then and now. And he's sitting in jail, and his life is unraveling because life didn't turn out the way he planned it. Look, let me tell you something. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter whether you started good, started bad. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, red, yellow, black, white, educated or uneducated. Doesn't matter if you have a three, five, and a 10-year plan. It doesn't matter how long-range goal planning you have. I, I got news for you. Hear me good. Extra, extra, read all about it. News flash for everybody. Life is not going to turn out the way you think it will. Ever. Ever. Life is not going to turn out the way you hope it will. Because we don't know the big picture. Now, does that mean some things won't happen the way you want? Sure they will. You know, John got, Cassie, that, I mean, that worked out for him. He was hoping that, he's like, that's right, amen. Uh, he, they, he was hoping that that would happen. And, and, and it, it's not to say that none of your hopes will come true, but all of life is not going to turn out. I mean, I mean, he could probably tell you about some food she burnt, but we won't get into that. He could probably tell you about some, you know, but we're not going to. Sometimes it doesn't work out just how you thought it would. I want you to know when that happens in your life, stop feeling woe is me. Don't feel like, oh, my God, why is it always me and it never works out for me? Listen, realize nobody else either. You're not on an island by yourself because life didn't work out just how you wanted it to. John the Baptist, the greatest dude that ever lived, and it didn't work out the way he wanted it to. Now, outside of Jesus, obviously, because Jesus is exempt from all top ten lists because he's above all that. But He's in jail. It's not working out the way he wants it to. He thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, he stood up against the government. He resisted Herod. He looked Herod in the face, the ruler of the whole world, and told him, you are sleeping with your brother's wife. And that's not lawful. And you should be condemned for that. Well, you don't go tell the king that back in that day. They've killed you. They done locked him up in the dungeon. The only reason he's alive right now, according to the Gospels, is because Herod, see, Herod had him arrested to have him killed. But then he started thinking, oh, wow, John got a lot of people believing him. These folk might rise up and riot. You know, this is going way past Black Lives Matter. If I kill John the Baptist right now, we're going to have some real revolt on our hands here. And he's like, and his cousin's out there, you know, gathering troops now, too. And the only reason John is not dead yet is because Herod is a coward. He didn't follow through with the executor. He, he arrested him to execute him, but he's get, he got scared once the executor started to sharpen their sword. And he thought, well, maybe hold up a minute. Let's just leave him in jail for a minute while I think about what's the best way to keep this, this revolt from happening. And then he gets tricked by his wife's daughter 
and promises to give a gift to his wife's daughter. I'll give you anything. And she said, I want John's head on, on a platter. And so that's how John ultimately got killed, not because Herod found any courage, but because he got tricked into killing John. But John's in prison about to die. And as Christians, no matter how deep your faith is, because John had real faith, he didn't just have faith. He saw stuff that made him believe. He heard stuff that made him believe. He knew what the truth was. But even with all that going on, the greatest Christian in the world, the person who really knows what they know, and you know it, you know it, you know it, and you know that you know it, doubt can still jump on you. And Jesus, Jesus is doing great stuff. He just raised somebody from the dead. These disciples that used to follow John the Baptist go to prison visit day and tell him, man, Jesus is doing big stuff. Uh, we got verse 18 up there. They go about tell him about everything Jesus was doing. So John called them over closer to him, and he said in verse 19, he sent them back to the Lord to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we look, keep looking for someone else? Now here John has spent his whole life believing his cousin is the Messiah. He baptized him, heard God speak from heaven, saw the Spirit of God descend on Jesus. He based his whole life around the fact that my cousin is the Messiah. His family has told him this. Mary has told him this. Um, everybody has told him this his whole life. He's seen Jesus do miracles. Jesus just raised somebody from the dead. But because life's not working out for John, his faith is getting mixed with doubt. Sometimes the thing you believe in the most, if you get down hard enough emotionally, you might start scratching your head. You know, if you study all of the great theologians, not all of them, but the majority of the great theologians went nuts in the end. If you study the, the great historians of the church, most of them lost it in the end and died on a, on a bed of doubt. Okay, who's the guy credited for um, the theory of evolution? Let me see how smart y'all are. Charles Darwin. Do you know what he said on his deathbed? I don't know if evolution is true. I think I believe in Jesus. That's a highly documented fact. You can look that up in any encyclopedia. Darwin flipped it at the end. Okay, who, who was the dude that um, said, by any means necessary, they wanted all blue-eyed devils to be killed in America? Malcolm X. Well, what, what happened to Malcolm X later in life? He turned around and thought, well, maybe all white is not the devil, and, 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 and maybe if everybody goes to Mecca, they'll start loving everybody. I mean, so no matter how extreme you are, people are looking at me like, no, not Malcolm. Read your history books. Can anybody, does, any, does anybody believe what I said about Malcolm is true? Okay, I need a black person. to. Come, all right, come on. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like, not Malcolm. No, he's killing them all. Um, no matter how extreme your belief system is in something, when death is at your door, when trials happen, when life didn't turn out the way you thought it would, you can begin to doubt even the thing you've clung to the most, whether it's Darwin or Malcolm or John the Baptist or us. Because these stories are for our example. So he tells them, he's like, John is doubting. He's like, S -s 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 y'all go ask him. Just ask him to his face. Is he really the one? Or should we look for somebody else? He's put his whole life on this. His mama told him, your cousin is the Messiah. He grew up hearing that story. He's preached this story his whole life. He stood boldly against the most oppressive government in the history of the world and, and told them what he believed. And now he's come to the end because life's hard on him. And he's wondering, man, is this even real? 
Is he even really the one? Is he really the Messiah? I mean, I know what mom and them said. I know what I saw that day I baptized him, but I'm in jail. It's none of this is making sense to me. And when life stops making sense to you, the devil wants you to doubt what you already believe. When life stops making sense to you, and you can't figure out why things are happening that you never thought would happen, the devil wants you to doubt even the most core essential beliefs of your faith. And we've seen this happen to people throughout the history books, and we even see it happening to the man that Jesus said is greater than anybody who ever lived. His own cousin. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, that's rude. That's offensive. That, that is insulting to Jesus as his cousin. That is insulting to Jesus as the Messiah. That is insulting to Jesus who had shown love and affection to John growing up and who knew each other growing up. That is insulting to Jesus to turn on him now and say, because life's going bad for me, you're up, I'm down, maybe you ain't really who you say you are. This is disrespectful at, at, at best and, and treasonous at worst. And he sends his disciples there because the reality is he shouldn't even have disciples at this point in his life. He should have told everybody, I told y'all I'm not the one. Quit following me. Go follow Jesus. The fact that he still had disciples is a whole different message, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to have any disciples of Scott Becker ever. Now, I'm more than happy to be a life coach, a pastor, a spiritual leader, a spiritual father, but we're all disciples of one person. That's Jesus. John shouldn't have had these little puppets following him around when Jesus was around the corner. He should have told them, leave me here to die. You go sit at Jesus' feet. Don't miss a word. Don't, don't waste time here with me in prison. You go watch see everything he's got to do and say. But that's a different message for a different time. In verse 20, these are, these are John's disciples, so they're going to do what he said to do. John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask. I love that. I, I love how specific the Bible is. Um, and that's why I say Paul's on the punctuation. That comma right there gives you time to laugh. John sent us to ask. You know how kids do. Uh, I, my, my, kids, my kids love to say, Dad, Seth wanted to know if we could go to Sonny's tonight. <laughs> Seth don't even like Sonny's, Jake. No, but he said he wanted to go because he knows we like it. <laughs> People love to push it off, right? Push it. So they want to make sure, because they're asking God in the flesh if he's a phony. Get the whole picture. They're asking the Messiah if you are a bogus liar. Do you get this? They're coming to this man who is raising people from the dead and got thousands of people following him. And they're going to ask him in his face, are you real or are you just fronting through all, are you just a lying con artist trying to scheme us? Or are you really who you say you are? Now, i got to figure, if, if, if a dude is going around raising people from the dead, if he can snap his fingers and somebody raised from the dead, he'd probably snap his fingers and put you off. And they're coming to this guy, and they're, like, confronting him, so they set it up. <laughs> Please hear. John told, sent us to ask you this. This ain't me saying this, because I wouldn't treat you this way. This is your cousin saying this. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now... You know, if Jesus wasn't who he is, he could have handled this a different way. He could have took offense to that. He could have took strong offense to that. But what I want you to remember is we're only in verse 20. 
Jesus, eight verses from this, says John's the greatest dude that ever lived. Jesus didn't dive on John for not believing in him. And we'll get to that in a second. But let's see how Jesus responded to this confrontation, to, to, this, to this horrific lack of faith, to, to this judgment of saying, we think you might be a phony, and we're just here to check that out. And Jesus said in verse 21, At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, so verse 21 is a setup of what Jesus has been doing. He's been healing people from sickness, raising the dead, casting out evil spirits, healing blind people, just doing crazy wild miracles that nobody had ever seen. And in verse 22, he told John's disciples, go back and tell John. Tell him what you have seen and what you've heard. Hyphen. All right. Go back and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. There are things inside the kingdom of God as you follow God and you live inside his world, not your own world. As you get your mind right in God's world where you're going to see some stuff and you're going to hear some stuff. And these are things that you need to hold on to. And here's what he said. Here's what you've, you've seen this and you've heard this. What? The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus didn't condemn them. Who are you to challenge me and what I say I am? Who are you and who is that prisoner that you sent, my, my backslidden cousin in prison, doubting who I am? He didn't come at anybody that way. He said, you know what you've heard and you know what you've seen. Go tell him that. And then he gives this list of stuff that are going on in the earth that Jesus is doing. He's like, dude, blind eyes are coming open, lame people are walking, lepers are being cured, the deaf here, the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. All of these things individually were references in the Old Testament of what Messiah would do when he came to the earth. And because John was a good Jew, he knew all these things. He knew the Old Testament Scripture, and he knew. See, Messiah was going to come, and he was going to do miracles. He was going to be the one that would allow blind people. See, there had been other miracle workers in the world prior to Jesus. There had been other religious figures that did miracles because the devil empowered them, and the Bible talks about lying signs and wonders. It's not just Christians that can do miracles. Uh, Fake Christians, false prophets can do miracles too. But you might remember in, in the gospel where Jesus healed a man who was blind from birth, and they said, we've never even heard of this. And they had heard of people who had bad vision. Supposedly their vision got better. But nobody healing from birth because Messiah was prophesied in the Old Testament, and he would give sight to the blind, that the lame would walk, lepers would be cured, deaf people would hear, and people would be raised from the dead, and that the good news would be preached to the poor. Now, I believe in the law a priority listing. We talk about a lot of different principles to understand Scripture better at Abundant Life. And every time there's a list anywhere in the Bible, typically it follows this biblical pattern, this hermeneutical principle called the law of priority listing, where the most prominent thing is listed first, and it decreases in prominence to the end, just like on the back of a bag of jelly beans. The first thing listed in the ingredients is always sugar. Why? Because it's the most prominent thing. Those bags follow the law of priority listing. Lists in the Bible follow the law of priority listing. Almost in every case in the Bible where there's a list of anything, the first thing is first and the last thing is last. 
Every time in the Gospels the disciples are listed, all 12 of them, the first four are always the same. First four. The last four, always the last four. Why? Because Peter, Andrew, James, and John were the most prominent ones. And so they were always listed first. The middle four were always jumbled up because they were somewhere in that order. But the bottom four were always the bottom four. So there's this law of priority listing. And you should remember that as you look at lists in the Bible, decreasing order of prominence. Well, here we see an exception. Say exception. This is different. There's always exceptions to every rule. That's why you shouldn't live off stereotypes. Now, don't believe that all stereotypes are false. If you go to Disney World, you will see an Asian person carrying a camera, okay? You, you, you go to the hood, you will see a, a young African-American man sagging his pants, okay? You, I mean, they're, they're just, they're some, there's some truth to it, but don't live off stereotypes and don't think that there aren't exceptions because there's always exceptions to every rule, including the law. Everybody in the ghetto is not sagging. Every Asian in Disney World is not carrying a camera, and every list in the Bible doesn't always start top to bottom. All right, and I could throw in there, every cop is not bad, and every, every cop is not a murderer, and every black person is not a criminal. Can we agree with that? Y'all don't want to get there, so I'll just leave that alone. But here we see this exception where the last thing that is said in a long list of stuff is the preeminent one. The, Jesus, sometimes Jesus saved the best for last, and here he saved the best for last because there had been people done miracles before. There had been people that had done uh, stuff of note before. There had been people that had cured lepers and helped deaf people here that were not Messiah. But here's the big one, the last one. The good news is being preached to the poor. You want to know the sign of a false prophet? Dude sets his church up on the rich side of town. Tell him I said so. Have him call me. I don't care. Why in the world? I mean, the Bible already says that, that Jesus came to help the outcast, the, the downtrodden, the hurting. The, the Bible says that not many rich, not many mighty, not many noble people are called. The Bible says Jesus came to call the lesser things the lower things. People who set their churches up in rich, fancy neighborhoods and cater to rich, fancy people and, and don't love the poor and don't help the hurting, they're not Christians to begin with. Tell them I said so. They're not Christians. Why? Because they, now they might say they're Christian because they believe in God. Well, Christian means like Christ. Jesus didn't go after rich, powerful people. Who did Jesus go after? Drug dealers and criminals, drunks, alcoholics, murderers. Jesus went out after the people who were disenfranchised. Jesus helped poor people. Now, does that mean we should avoid all rich people? No. And if you're here tonight and you're rich, you're an exception to the rule. And you're here to finance ministry. Keep reading the Gospel of Luke. You see a bunch of rich people in there that their whole purpose for being involved in Jesus' life was to pay the note. And maybe that's your role. Praise God for you. If you got money, you're supposed to be here giving it. Can't get nobody to like what I'm saying tonight. I'm telling the truth. False religions go after powerful people. False religions go after rich people. False churches still do that today in our city. That's what they go after. That's who they want in their church. We got churches right in here you could hit a golf ball to that don't want poor people in their church, and it will tell you that. Y'all don't believe me? Don't want them there. And that's not who they're looking to minute. That's not their crowd. Well, then you're not Christian. Why? Because the crowd Jesus was looking for was the poor. Now, can you be an exception to that? Yes, you can. Your richness, don't disqualify you from Christ. Keep coming. Give more. 
Help us poor folk out. We will thank you for it. And God will use you for it. But the Messiah was promised to come and preach to everyone. Why did he focus on being preached to the poor? Are the poor people the only ones that need to be preached to? No, everybody needs to be saved, red, yellow, black, white, rich, and poor. Why did he have to focus? Why did he have to make the big thing on his list that the gospel was being preached to the poor? Because every other religion that was on the earth in that time was looking for rich folk. They weren't going for poor folk. Every other false prophet on the planet on that time was going after the upper crust. They were going after regular people. And that's still happening in 2016. But the true hallmark of Jesus' religion was, I'm preaching to everybody, including the poor. Now, that's a standout deal. And if you stay in churches long enough, you will find out. Go ahead, get get transferred, move around, get mad, quit abundant life, go somewhere else. Here's what you're going to find out. There ain't a lot of churches like abundant life in this world. There's not a lot of churches doing this thing. And you want to know why? Because every time a poor family joins our church, every time a, a, a homeless person comes in our church, every time we've got mentally disabled people in our church, we, we've got uh, people from all different types of backgrounds, and every time somebody comes in our church that looks less than what society deems is what the world is looking for, you know what happens? People leave. We started this church with 16 adults. Every one of them were white. And I told them, God wants us to be a multiracial church. We had in the first year of our church, a man join our church. You remember Joe Wilson? Big Joe? Big, you still get his emails? Big Joe was the first black, black member of our church. Dude about six foot seven, 400 pounds, married a little Asian wife about this tall, weighed nothing. It was hilarious. It's like looking at Shaq and his wife. But we were determined to reach out to everybody. And so we're in the Clay Hill section of Middleburg, and I'm preaching against racism. They ain't like that. I told them racists don't go to heaven because the Bible says if you can't love who you see, you can't love a God you can't see. That's Bible. They ain't like that. And so we're trying to establish this Christian church. What is a Christian church? A church that reaches out to everybody, including the poor. Well, I know pastors that have told me plainly, Scott, I'm glad that you, you have such an affection for poor people because uh, poor people cripple our church, and they just come in and take, 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 never give anything back. I said, if you help those poor people come up and get something, they'll remember you for the rest of your life, and they'll be the ones taking care of you five years from now. There's a message in that too. Jesus said, tell them we're preaching this thing to everybody. Go back and you tell John that we're just not out here trying to build up us. And I'm so excited that Abundant Life is not just here catering to rich people. We didn't have to move off Firestone Road. This was the only place we could have chose to come. We came from three acres of paved parking lot on Blanding Boulevard, half a block uh, north of Kingsley Avenue. We, we, we came from right up from the mall. We were less than a half mile from Orange Park Mall on the biggest, busiest street on this side of town. We didn't have to come to a little, little isolated place off the side of the road. I found this place, and God put this place in my heart, and I knew this is where we were supposed to be, and I knew we could do ministry to everybody. But here's the problem. People come in, and they let other folk drive them out. It just is what it is. Let somebody come in. Here you are tonight, Wednesday night crowd, some of y'all core members of this church, 
and let some homeless person that hadn't had a bath all week long, let, let, let some person, if you don't smoke cigarettes and, and, and they smoke five packs a day and you don't like the way they smell through their, the, you smell, they're sweating out liquor on them, they, they smell like they've been smoking all day long in a closet and, and you smell weed all over them and they sit down next to you. You think the average Wednesday night church person wants to sit next to that dude? No. And when more people start coming into churches that, from that side, more people leave from the other side. People come in this door, chase people out that door. And I want you to know, I really believe that one of the things that validates the ministry that is happening at 4401 Georgetown through the Abundant Life Christian Fellowship is that people from every background are being preached to. That we are not disrespecting poor people. We are not isolating ourselves. We are not trying to build through the upper crust because that's what every other preacher on the planet was doing except Jesus. And I'm not saying every other church in America is doing that except us, but I will say most of them are. And I know a lot of them that are, but let's keep moving. Verse 23, Jesus said, And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. He went, and the writing here, and I don't have time to explain Greek syntax. The New Testament was primarily written in Greek. And he changes the writing style in this verse from the verses around it in the Greek language to become more personal. Now, I don't know how they do that. I mean, they do that in Spanish. Anybody here speak Spanish? They, they do that in Spanish with, with things that you call, you call some men poppy that you wouldn't call other men poppy. I mean, there's, there's, there's personal words in different languages that, you know, English-speaking folk don't get, you know. We, we, we have our own way of saying stuff, but there's a personal syntax in the Greek tense that he switches up to here to become very personal in his message. What he was saying in the other verses were broad. What he's saying right now is directly directed at his cousin in a very personal tone of voice. He says, you go back and you tell my cousin that God blesses those who don't turn away because of me. And I have seen so many people come to church, claim to fall in love with Jesus, claim to be sold out to who God is, but then they find out something about Christianity something about the church, something about what God expects from them, and it causes them to lose their love for that they said they had for God. They see something they don't agree with. They see somebody say something they don't approve of, and then they leave. And here's what Jesus knew because Jesus got in the flesh. He knew that John was depressed. He knew that life wasn't working out for John. He knew that John didn't see the big picture. He knew John loved him. He knew John had had served him. He knew John was his forerunner. He knew John had promoted him, given him honor, told people that he's the one and I'm not. He loved his cousin. And he knew that his cousin loved him, but he knew that because life was hard on John right now, John was struggling. And God knows that life is hard on us too. But this is what Jesus is saying to everybody that truly is related to him, that truly believes in him. 
Don't turn away because of him. Don't turn away from God because of the things that you don't understand about Christianity. Jesus knew that his cousin loved God and it served God. And that because things weren't working out for John on his time frame, because John was about to die and John was about to have to pay the ultimate price. And listen, death brings confusion in everybody's mind. Somebody dies that you didn't want to die, that might rattle you. Somebody loses a child. Youngest, my youngest brother, youngest of the three of us. My sister's 14 months older than me, then it was me, then 11 years later, my brother. He's way younger than us. He's supposed to outlive all of us. My mom is in her 70s, and my brother died in 2001, and he was a young man, way younger than us, in a motorcycle crash. The youngest brother's not supposed to die first. The youngest child's not supposed to die first. A parent's not supposed to bury their children at all, much less their youngest child. These things rattle people's faith and make them wonder, why, God? Why does this happen? I mean, I, I buried a, the, my wife's 36 years old. Mother of my kids left me. I'm the least qualified human being on the planet to be a single parent. That's just not, that's just not my, my forte. Things happen that we're not ready for, that we're not prepared for, that we don't understand, that we can't make sense out of. Nothing's making sense to John. He did everything right his whole life. His whole life, he didn't cut his hair. He didn't drink alcohol. He swore a vow of a Nazarene. He lived it out every day. Every day. He did everything right his whole life. Had all his chips bet on Jesus. Now he's in jail about to die. It does not make sense to him at all. How can this be? the end of me how can this be i lived through all this to come to this i i i i've been this outcast crazy person that everybody thought was a lunatic living out in the woods eating wild locusts and honey while everybody else was living a life marrying people having kids i let all that go so i could tell the world about my cousin and that this is what i get out of it this is my return on the on the back end and it doesn't make sense to him And he was expecting it to go a different way. And it's rattling his faith. And Jesus tells him, don't turn away. You see me out here doing good and you're doing bad. Don't turn away from God because of what you see in me. God bless you if you won't turn away from him because of what you see in me. Jesus is not on the planet right now in physical form doing all these miracles. But I want to tell you, that God never changes. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have these stories for our examples. And God doesn't want you to turn away from him because of what you see in anybody. Too many times people see something that they don't approve, hear something they don't agree with, see somebody doing something that they don't like, that they don't think is holy, that they don't think is Christian, that shouldn't be going down that way. And it's almost always based on the fact that they're going through something that they don't like. It's almost always based on the fact that they're struggling in their own life. So then they start looking for stuff around them that they can point fingers at and nitpick at. I've never had anybody inside this church 
that was fully in love with God and fired up and excited about everything God was doing in their life be upset with anybody in the leadership of our church. But once people start getting negative in their own life, once things start going bad in their own life, they start looking at things and looking for reasons to fall away. Don't ever fall away from God because your life's not working out. Don't ever fall away from God because you thought it was going to go one way and it goes a different way. Don't ever fall away from God because of what you see in somebody else that they're doing better than you're doing and it doesn't make sense to you. Don't ever fall away from God because you can't figure out why your life is so hard when somebody else's life isn't as hard. Messiah is supposed to come and give his life for Israel. John's the one about to get killed. Jesus is out there. Everybody's clapping for him. Doesn't make sense. And that's why I tell you all the time, when you can't figure it out, you got to what? you got to faith it out. Faith is believing in what you can't see. And here's my question to you tonight. Do you really believe that God knows what he's doing? Do you really believe that there's a God in heaven that knows what he's doing? Do you believe that every event in your life, every difficult thing you've ever suffered through in your life, do you believe that in your worst, lowest dungeon hour, that God knows exactly what he's doing and that he still is worthy to follow? God blesses those who don't turn away. And it breaks my heart because I see people turn away all the time. I see people turn away all the time. People who love and pledge every allegiance in the world to God, to abundant life, to me. I put my kids on hold to, Pastor, can I get five minutes? My kids go sit down for that hour and 20-minute talk. And they got to go home from here, and they got to get fed, and they got to get baths, and they got to finish up homework, and they got to get up and go to school tomorrow. I put my own kids on hold to, to deal with God's children. I put my life on hold to deal with God's children. I've given every dime I own to the ministry of this church to keep the lights turned on in this church. And the people that come, oh, man, love me because I'm real, I'm raw, I'm in, the, in everybody's face, and, and I'm like a cup of water in, in, a, in a dry and weary place. But then once you start getting arrogant and proud and backslidden because life ain't working out for you, what you used to find refreshing, that cold cup of water that used to refresh you is now getting splashed in your face. And you get mad and you want to turn away from God based on somebody else. Don't stop believing what you know to be true about God because things aren't going your way. Don't stop believing what you know to be true about God because you can't figure out why something happened or is happening that isn't working in your favor. God will bless those who do not turn away because of what they see, because of what they hear. And I want you to make a decision that says your faith is not based on a person. Your faith is not based on God blessing you. Your faith is not based on you understanding and agreeing with everything that you see happening in God's kingdom. That your faith is based on your own personal belief that God loves you and that Jesus died for your sins so that you could be right with God. And then you won't worry about the music at the church. You won't worry about the song selection. You won't worry about how the preacher dresses or what you think people should be doing. 
you will be so thrilled in your own life. The tool of the enemy is to weaken you so you start doubting God based on what you see in the lives of other people. If you know that God is true on the inside of you, what difference does it make what you see in other people? If you know you believe in this book, what difference does it make what you see other people doing? When Jimmy Swaggart fell, there was such a large exodus of the church, people quit going to church and, and told them, I'll never go back to a church after what I saw Jimmy Swaggart do. What, what Jimmy Swaggart got to do? God blesses those who don't turn away from God based on what Jimmy Swaggart did. You're not supposed to be having a relationship with God based on Jimmy Swaggart or Scott Becker or, or anybody else. Don't let faith creep into your life. And this is going to be tested by everyone in this room. Something's going to happen in your life that you don't understand. Something's going to happen in your life that you don't agree with. Some tragedy is going to befall you that you didn't see coming and that you don't appreciate. Somebody's going to let you down that you held up. And you're going to think about turning away from God. Jesus was trying to let them know, John, you know the real deal. Don't stop now. Don't stop believing now just because you don't get what's happening in my life. He knew that John was mad because Jesus, this, this, John may not have even been doubting Jesus, some scholars say, some commentaries say. It wasn't even the, 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 the speech pattern that he used wasn't saying, I don't believe that you're the one. It was more like saying, I know that you're the one. Why don't you hurry up and establish your kingdom and get me out of jail? It wasn't even so much that John wasn't, wasn't perfectly walking in deep faith. It was, he, he knew, but he was ready for better days. And he was trying to push Jesus' time frame ahead. You can't push Jesus' time frame ahead. So when everybody else could have seen John as faltering at the end in doubt, wondering if his cousin was really the one after he, that's what he based his life on, Jesus goes down from there. Five verses later, put that last verse on the screen, card, verse 28. Here's this dude, sent two of his boys to come and say, are you a con artist or are you really who we thought you were? And Jesus didn't have one bad thing to say about John because Jesus says, the Bible says he knows our hurts and he feels compassion toward our pain. And Jesus loves John. And he knew John loved him. And even though John was falling, that's why you should never judge your brother or sister in Christ. You might think you see them falling when you don't know what's really going on in their heart. They may be doing everything they can to hold on. You might think that they're doing less than they should be doing, but you don't know that they might be holding on by one small thread, and that's all they can do. Jesus didn't confront John or badmouth John. He said, I'm going to tell you what. John's the greatest dude that's ever lived. That is the God we serve. Not somebody who will say, you go back and tell John he can die and go to hell if he wants to confront me. He don't want to believe in me. Let him try something else and see where it gets him. No, that's how people would do. But the love of God is so far beyond people. I want you to know tonight, God loves you beyond your fear. God loves you beyond your doubt. God loves you beyond your pain when life is hitting you and you don't understand why. And you need to make a determination that says, I'll never turn away from God because of anything that I see or that I hear because I know what I know. And you need to get to the place in Christ where you know what you know and you don't ever let anything, event in life, 
back you up from that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the examples that you've given us. Thank you for allowing us to see doubt in lives of our champions so that we can know that you love us no matter where we are and that you want us to continue loving you. God, I pray as we even go into this season of Lent, Lord, leading up to the Passion Week where we will remember and focus around the world on your death, burial, and resurrection, God. Help us to think every day about how much you love us and help us to love you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.